Well, again, good morning to you. I'm Joel, one of the pastors, and we get to uh, have one more week of a delay. Uh, What I mean by that is we're in a series through Exodus. We're going to jump back into that next week. Um, I want to jump in right away to the Word of God and to John chapter 20. Uh, John chapter 20 tells, it's one of the Gospels, of course, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and it tells the resurrection story, at least a portion of it. And uh, we're going to be camping out 19 through 23 today, uh, John chapter 20, 19 through 23, but we need to get there first. So let me briefly walk us through some of the events that were taking place when it comes to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Um, It's the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene had already uh, come to the tomb early that morning, it was still dark, and she saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she, right away, imagine, she goes early morning, dark, the stone is gone, the stone would have taken several grown men uh, just to get it out of the way, all of a sudden it's gone, Um, she starts wigging out a little bit, and she takes off, and she finds Peter. Peter, remember, the night before, uh, just a couple of days before, he's the guy who did what to Jesus? Denied him three times. So she runs, grabs him, also the one that uh, Jesus loved, it tells us, which would have been probably, of course, John, and says to them, hey, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb. You know that she'd probably been urgent. Like, hey, you know, kind of you can hear the the exasperation and, and things in her voice. They've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they've laid him. So Peter and the other disciple, they take off and they run. John gets her first. Peter comes. John hasn't gone in. Peter ends up looking in, seeing the linen, uh, some at the foot where Jesus would have been laid, of, uh, and also some at the head. And then John finally, even though he gets there first, he starts to peek in as well. These are events were unfolding. It says the other disciple had reached the tomb first. That would have been John. And said also he saw, and then he says he believed. Now, I'm just going to jump into this, okay? I only have so long. It's Easter. we got to tell the whole story. And so here what we find is you've got a couple of the disciples. They come. Mary Magdalene says, tomb's empty. Jesus is gone. They come check it out. One of them says he believed. And so this, this matches it up perfectly. Verse 9 and 10. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. And so then the disciples went back to their homes. If you, didn't, if you didn't already know, Jesus Christ was crucified. They did that as quickly as they could so that they get, could do it before the Sabbath, so they could get on with Passover because they couldn't execute or crucify anybody on the Sabbath. They wanted to get it over with, get it done with. That's what they did. All of a sudden, um, the very person they've been following around now for several years that they claim to be Messiah and Lord is gone. They find out that his body is gone, and so they go back. And where do they go? home. Really? I just want you to think about it for a moment. Jesus Christ, the, 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 the Lord that you've been following and serving, his body is gone. You find out about it, and so afterwards you go home. Really? That, that's going to be your response to the body of Jesus being gone. I think there's good reason for it, though. At least we're going to discover why. I'm not going to say there's good reason. There's reason for it. And we're going to find out more of that. It tells us that then Mary, though, she was staying there. She's outside the tomb, and she's weeping. And it says, as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. She saw two angels in white. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they've taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they've laid him. 
Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. Now, we know that Jesus was not allowing himself to be revealed to her yet. And so Jesus looks at her, but she thinks that he is a gardener. Looks, Jesus looks at her and says, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Sir, if you've carried away him, tell me where you have laid him, and I'll take him away. And then Jesus said to her, verse 16, this is when Jesus allows for himself to be recognized. He says to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. So Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them. So Jesus is now saying, hey, listen, don't cling to me. I need you to go tell all my disciples, the brothers. I need you to go tell them everything that you're seeing and all that you're hearing. I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. So Mary Magdalene, verse 18, John chapter 20. Mary Magdalene, it tells us, went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. What did she say? That was absolutely horrible. (laughs) So Mary Magdalene comes and announces to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. What did she say? Respectable. Peter and John come, they discover that the tomb is what? Empty. They go back, because it tells us that John believed, but they go back and they go where? Home. And then, what we find now is that Mary Magdalene is coming to them and announces, I have seen the Lord. And this is what we then discover Then on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. I'm going to get into this more and more, but Jesus Christ on the resurrected day, we've got five different occurrences that he ends up showing up to others. I'm going to give you these real quick. Five different occurrences. I'm going to call out some scripture, let you know who he is appearing to on that day. Because this will help us as we process the events and what unfolded the day that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. very first thing that we discover is, of course, in, in John chapter 20, 11 through 18. I just ran through that. Jesus appears to Mary Magdalene. That's one of the five occasions that we have also to other women in Matthew chapter 28. Matthew 28, verse 9 and 10, it says that he appears to other women. Um, on uh, the road to Emmaus, he appears to a, to a couple of the disciples, Mark 16, 12 through 13. Mark 16, 12 through 13. We know that in Luke 24, he appeared to Peter. Um, Luke 24, uh, 33 through 35. And then um, what we're going to find here is later in this chapter, John chapter 20, 19 through 23, he's going to appear to 10 of the disciples. You're saying, why 10? Well, we already know about Judas. Judas is the one who did what? He betrayed him, 30 pieces of silver. And we know that he went out and hung himself. All right? Other person you're going to find out in the following verses of John chapter 20 is that Thomas, doubting Thomas, wasn't there. So you have 10 of the disciples hanging out here. These are the the different uh, times that Jesus appeared on that day that he rose from the dead. And here comes Mary Magdalene announcing to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And it then tells us on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, this is later that night. So they've already, I'm convinced that they've already heard from Peter and John. The tomb is empty. 
Now Mary Magdalene goes and actually says, I have seen Jesus. This is what he says. And yet, we find the disciples behind locked doors in fear. Does that not strike anybody else as just a little bit disturbing? That Jesus Christ came and defeated death, and yet now what do we find? Here are the disciples after hearing the news, the amazing, astonishing, miraculous news, and they locked themselves behind doors for fear of the Jews. Maybe that's a question that we need to explore today is what are we, friends, what are we doing with the news that Jesus Christ is alive? What are we doing with that information? Because the disciples were behind locked doors because they had fear of the Jews and they're trying to figure out maybe what to do. Um, Guys, that's what worldly fear does to you. Now, this is worldly fear. There's a difference in worldly fear and biblical fear. Walking through the book of Exodus right now, we've been speaking about biblical fear. Um, Biblical fear is jaw-dropping awe of who God is. It's like, why you recognize his enormity and his greatness in such a magnificent way that not being obedient to God, you can't imagine. You just, you can't imagine not being obedient to God because he's so great. That's biblical fear of the Lord. But worldly fear can paralyze you. Worldly fear is something that can paralyze us because the majority of us are living, we already know this, right? Society, in the society today, stress, fear, uh, worry, all those things, suicide, just we already know they're all skyrocketing because we live with so much fear in our life. Worldly fear. What's going to happen with this? What's going to happen with this? What's going to happen with this? And so we have this fear that can paralyze us. Let me go ahead and invite you. On a sheet of paper, or even if you need to get a phone out, I want to invite you to write down two words. And I want, to, I want you to be able to evaluate the rest of this week and to determine which of these two words you're living by. Which of these two words are you living by? They're very, very brief. Here you go. Ready? The first one, fear. That's an easy one. You knew that I was going to come out with that one. And the second word, make sure you write down, is peace. Peace. Which one are you living by? Because today we're going to discover that you can't live by both. And studies have shown us that we have more fear and worry and anxiety today than ever in the history of this nation. Right? I mean, like before, think about that. A hundred years ago, think about where things were and how sick people would get and all the catastrophes that could take place. And uh, think about 150 years ago and all the things that they didn't have that we have today. And yet we have more fear and worry and anxiety today, they say, than ever in the history of the United States. And so we think about this. And here are the disciples The doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. And it says, Jesus came and stood among them, and and then he spoke. Now, I want to, real quick, we already see here, verse 19. The doors were what? Okay. So, obviously, we have a lot of new people here. We participate here at this church. All right. And I, the people who go to this church regularly, they will tell you, if you don't participate, that's fine, but I will start the message over again and again. 
CP people, if you're here all the time, amen? Amen. amen. So you know um, the other people can wait in the parking lot. I don't mind one bit. So we already know that they were fearful, and they were, what were the doors? They were all right, some new people, thank you for participating. The doors are locked for fear of the Jews, and then Jesus just shows up. Like, that's cool. Because everything's locked up, and all of a sudden, there's Jesus. It's just like he just shows up. Maybe that's a miracle of God. We don't know exactly what took place, and he calls out, peace be with you. Now, Jesus is so nice, because I would have just, like, showed up and, like, boo. Like, that's what I do to my staff almost every day, <laughs> right? And they love me for it. And so I look at it, and I'm like, okay, here comes Jesus. He just shows up. Boo. No, he doesn't do that. He goes, peace be with you. The first words of Jesus, they've already been hearing from Mary Magdalene. And then Peter and John, they saw that the tomb was empty, and they went, and they went home afterwards because it meant so much to them. And now all of them are locked behind closed doors for fear of the Jews. Worldly fear was dominating their life. And so Jesus shows up and says, peace be with you. Peace be with you. I love this because this is what we're going to see happen in the next several verses. Is that a moment that began with fear and locked doors, it quickly shifted. In a moment, it shifted to peace and amazement. That's what we're going to see. And that's what we need in our own life. Is We need to understand that some of us, listen, let's just own up to the fact, some of us are living according to worldly fear, but in a moment, Jesus shifted it in the lives of the disciples to allow them to live with peace and amazement, to recognize all that that really means for them. And this is more significant than you know because of that word peace, because we've cheapened the word peace. We've cheapened it. From a biblical understanding, we made it a worldly understanding, and we have cheapened it to such a massive extent. And so that's what we see unfolding before us. It says, peace be with you. And when he has said this, he showed them his hands and his side. So he says, peace be with you. Tells us then. The disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. They needed to see. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. So Jesus began first words, peace be with you. He then shows hands and sides. His next words were, peace be with you again. Now, when someone has just conquered death, and the first two statements that he makes are the same, you better pay attention to those statements. Because you're going to end up repeating again even. So then, conquers death, shows up before the disciples, and he calls out the words, peace be with you. Now, peace be with you, I told you we have cheapened this word before. right? It's kind of like saying... Um, a while ago, my, my family, um, they, they served last night with the service. This morning, they came to the first service. Because they love me so much, my family is now going to the airport to get on a plane to go to Florida. Um, true story. I'm calling them out right now because they're not listening because they're in a car. Um, and uh, so right beforehand, I'll be with them later tonight after all the services, of course. But um, I told them, I said, hey, guys, um, I like you. And then they left. Right? That's a cheap word. Like, I like you. No, I didn't say that. What did I say? Hey, guys, I, I love you. 
We've cheapened the word peace. In fact, what we've done with the word peace, and we're going to go into the biblical understanding of the word peace, okay, because it's going to mess with you, and it's going to let us see what we've even done to the understanding of the gospel and the resurrection in our own life. Uh, we think that peace is something that, and this is true, people go through hardship, we go through difficulty, maybe you lose a loved one, and we say, hey, I, I pray that you know the peace and the comfort of Jesus. That's a good prayer, by the way. That's a biblical prayer. But it doesn't tell the whole story of the word peace. Because when we look in Hebrew at the significance of the word shalom, what we recognize is that Hebrew peace is far more than simply having the absence of conflict or far more than being able to simply endure conflict. Godly biblical peace is knowing that everything is now whole. Everything is now complete. It's the tranquility that comes from it. It's having harmony between yourself and God, knowing that you are in full submission to who he is and to anything that he requires of you, anything that he requests of you. Peace is knowing the power and the strength of God lives within you. It's not simply being able to endure to get through to another day. That is an aspect of it, but it is far greater than that. That's why it tells us in Numbers 6, 24 through 26, a popular passage for us that we often call out, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and to be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Right? His countenance to be given to you. His face to shine upon you. Biblical peace is being completely consumed it comes when you know the consumption of God in your life the fullness of God the completeness of God in your life that empowers us that sends us out shalom that's why Paul said second second Thessalonians chapter 3 verse 16 now may the Lord of peace give himself right the Lord of peace give himself and give to you, peace at all times and in every way. Paul's calling this out because he knew that the people needed strength and energy to recognize the fullness of God in their life. And so does he say, hey, so that you may know the strength and the power and the goodness and blah, 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 of all everything of God is? No, he says, no, that you may know the peace of God because what that would involve is all of it. It's more than being able to get through a day. It's knowing that the God of the universe has already stepped into your life. You know what it's important? How about the birth of Jesus Christ? Luke chapter 2, verse 14. This is the birth of Jesus coming in flesh, right, into the world. And the angels are proclaiming glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. They knew that it was more that Jesus Christ was to usher in peace, the power, the presence, the strength, the consumption of the almighty God. Jesus began his messianic ministry, Matthew chapter 5, giving out the Beatitudes. And in Matthew chapter 5, verse 9, he says, blessed are the peacemakers, right? For they shall be called sons of God. 
Why? Because they will be, if you are a peacemaker, a true peacemaker, not just keeping everything civil, but somebody who is ushering in the presence of God, you can only do such when the presence of God is within you. You can't do it alone. A biblical understanding of shalom, peace, is that you have so much shalom, so much peace within you that it can't help but to spill out of you. And we don't, we don't think of peace like that. But again, Jesus Christ, right, Joseph, Joseph of Arimathea had given his tomb for Jesus to be buried in. Joseph of Arimathea was part of the Sanhedrin. He was a rich man. He gave his tomb for Christ to be buried in. It was a place that it would have taken several grown men to move the stone. All of a sudden, Mary Magdalene comes, according to the Gospel of John, discovers that the tomb is empty. Here comes Peter and John. They recognize it. Jesus now appears, and he is ushering in peace, which understandably so for us, we need to know that that also means power and strength and the presence of God in our life in every single way. That's why we say that worldly fear, what fear does, worldly fear, it's often it paralyzes us. But the peace of Christ sends us on mission. We don't think of peace in that way. Hey, you had the peace of Christ. That means you're sent on mission. And you're going, is that really right? Yes, it's correct. It's the right way to be able to understand it. Because then what we find in this passage, it says, Jesus said to them, second time, peace be with you. What's, the, what's he say? As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. First words, peace be with you. Second words, peace be with you. Next phrase, what's he say? As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Now, as the Father has sent me, I'm about to send you to do the same that I have been doing. You can only do that if you know the peace of Christ, the full, right, the fullness of Jesus Christ, the completeness of Jesus Christ. And when he had said this, he breathed on them, and he said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Wow. Like Jesus, he, I just think Jesus, I just think he stunk at small talk. And there was no, again, there's no like surprise. Hey, isn't it a nice day? Right? Just say, hey, peace be with you. Peace be with you. By the way, I'm sending you to go do that which I have been sent by the Father to do yourself. Get ready. And he breathed on them Holy Spirit so that they could then be sent on mission. It says, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. He's sending them on mission to let people know the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. He gives evidence to them so that they may believe, calls out, peace be to you. The peace given by Christ, it sends us on mission to continue his work, the peace of Christ, means strength and power in the name of Jesus. And maybe the question we need to ask is, are we willing to move from locking doors in our own life because of fear to truly absorbing and receiving peace so that we understand that we are now sent on mission? Which one are you living in? 
Are you living by a worldly fear or a godly ordained peace by Holy Spirit sitting in your life? tells us that after the Spirit came down upon the disciples, they opened the doors, they preached, they began to preach the gospel boldly. So they were missing out on. They needed the empowerment of Holy Spirit. But guess what we have because of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2. We have the empowerment of Holy Spirit right now today, friends. We simply need to receive the Holy Spirit. Put it like this, if you say that you have received the Holy Spirit and yet you don't think that you're on mission, you don't get it. Biblically, you don't get it. You can't say that you believe in the resurrection of Jesus and think that your response is to go home, turn the TV on, and have some Easter, those little marshmallow peeps. They're so good, though. It's like, oh... An eight-year-old just came to know the Lord. That's awesome. That's not what it is if you believe in the power and the resurrection of Jesus. We are now sent on mission to fulfill the work that he started, which is to proclaim that the Messiah has come. The Messiah has come, guys. This isn't like a cool thing. Oh, Jesus was here and then he died, rose from the dead, and so on. The Messiah has come and conquered death, annihilated it, kicked it in the teeth. Jesus won. Right? That's what it means. We are now sent on mission. We are here to fulfill the work of the Lord. So we don't have the privilege of going home and sitting on a couch and going, Oh, I'm good. I showed up at church. That's not what it is. That's not what it is to be a believer. And I know some of you may be new here, but at least now you're hearing it, so now you're going to be held accountable to it. That's how it works. we got to get the significance of this. I'm sorry. I feel like I'm just getting going. Just keep playing. It's good. Just getting going. Let me add chapter 21. I'm just kidding. It says, now Thomas, here comes Thomas. I told you he wasn't there. Doubting Thomas. One of the 12 called the twin was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. Are you telling, how many people are you telling? How many people in the last week have you told them, I know Jesus and he conquered death? That's called being on mission. The reason we don't do it is because what? I told you, write down the words, fear or peace. Here's the difference. Here's what, I'll get to Thomas in a second. Here's what fear does. You always ask the question, but what if? But but what if, you need to write this down, seriously, because this is what we do. We say, but, but what if my neighbor doesn't like me anymore? But what if I get in trouble for it? But what if my boss calls me out? But what if we, we, that's what worldly fear causes us to ask, but what if? Biblical peace causes us to ask or to say, but God said. 
instead of living a life of going, but what if we, we step into a life that says, but God said to do this, I'm in. Because I believe that he conquered death. I believe that I have life eternal. I believe in the peace of Christ empowering me and giving me a complete life, a full life, a whole life. Are you living in the but God said or the but what if? The other disciples told Thomas, I've seen the Lord, we've seen him. And here's what Thomas says, unless I see his hands, the mark of the nails, place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, he shows up. He's, it says, check this out. His disciples were inside again. Thomas was with them, although the doors were locked. Once again, they're in a locked room. Lord have mercy. And Jesus came and stood among them and said, boo. No. Guess what he said? He shows up again and he says, I told you it was coming again. Because the peace of Christ is more than getting through a day. It's knowing the fullness of Christ in all of your life. And we're denying it. Friends, we're denying the peace of Christ in our life. He says, peace be with you. Put your finger here. See my hands. And then at the very end, Jesus says, blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. And so God sent them out. They began and they, they went out and they began to preach the gospel. I want to give you an idea, an understanding of where they started to even go, where they were sent by God. Because we know that Jesus sends every believer into the world on mission. Right? That's what Holy Spirit does. Zechariah 4, 6 tells us, not by might nor by power, but by, by my spirit, says the Lord. In the book of Acts, they start in Jerusalem and they were sent out. Philip preaches in Samaria and Peter journeys to Caesarea. On his first missionary journey, Paul goes to Antioch and places like Laodicea, Cyprus and more. In his second journey, he goes throughout Asia Minor and Greece. In his third journey, he visits places like Antioch and Tarsus and Ephesus and Smyrna and Athens and Corinth, even into Crete and Sicily on his return home to Rome. By the year 100 A.D., there were more than 40 robust communities of Christians throughout Asia. And when it says they traveled to go do that because they were sent out on a mission, they don't get to places the way we get to, to, to places. It was a lot of work to travel, but they went and they gave up everything. It wasn't like, hey, I'll be back in a few days. They dropped everything that was a part of their life previous to knowing Jesus. And they stepped into a life of what it is to be consumed by Jesus, to know the peace of Jesus. And they started to travel. They were sent out everywhere they went. They were speaking of the power of Jesus Christ because they knew his peace. And they weren't living by worldly fear. People like Thomas, who was once the one doubting, right? He's, he went to India. 
Because he had the power of Holy Spirit step into his life and he recognized that the tomb was empty and he was sent out. If you claim to know Jesus, you are being sent out. We are not to coming in this place just to simply gather to worship and then to go live our own life. Our life is no longer our own. It belongs to Jesus Christ and we all are being sent out. Every one of us, you can't get away from that. If you don't agree with it, read the Bible and then it's your choice of whether or not you'll be obedient to the scriptures, period. And so some of us are being sent out to our neighbors to say, hey, can I tell you about Jesus? Can I tell you, can, can I just, can I ask how I can pray for you? Some of us are being sent to our work to tell our boss, hey, listen, I know you may not like me very much, but you just need to know God loves you. His son died for you. It's so cool. It's so cool. And he's going to say, you can't say that. And you're going to go, oh, but I got to tell you, God loves you. And that's so cool. And then you may lose your job, but it's fine. Nathan has an extra bedroom in his house. Because the peace of Christ empowers. The peace of Christ empowers. And it sends us out. Where is God sending you? Peace be with you. Peace be with you. Where is God sending you? Maybe it's to a friend just to simply say, how can I pray for you? Maybe he's sending you to actually start praying over your spouse every day. It starts with small things. Where is God sending you? And do you know the peace of Christ? Peace be with you. Peace be with you. God, I come before you in the name of Jesus. And I give you thanks that you kicked death in the teeth. You demolished it. I give you thanks that we can know your peace, which means we can know your fullness and your wholeness, your completeness, that we know more than just being able to endure and to get through another day, God. We know so much more than that. We know what it is to be empowered by your spirit, to live according to your will, to not succumb to our own selfish desires and the thoughts of how we've been cheated or how we've been wrong because fact of the matter is we're all sinner none is good no not even one but through your power and through your strength we can stand before you God and you are sending us out as your church and so we declare that the resurrection is real And we declare that we will be sent out because God said, because God said, we praise you and we love you. Amen.